The Data Skeptic Podcast is a weekly show featuring conversations about skepticism, critical thinking, and data science. Well, welcome back to another mini episode of the Data Skeptic Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my wife and co-host, Linda. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Linda? I am well. Well, today our topic is the infamous T-test. Are you familiar with this? Nope. Well, it's one of the first tests they'll teach you in any good statistics course. And it's useful, but it's not without its caveats. So let's first talk about what it is, and then we'll get into the assumptions one has to make in order to use it. A t-test is useful in a couple of different situations, and there's some nuances I won't necessarily get into, but the basic idea is if you have two different sets of data, and you'd like to know if they're essentially drawn from the same population, the t-test will help you do that. For example, I noticed you've been reading this rather thick wine book here. Can you talk about that for a minute? It's a wine atlas. Oh, an atlas. I'm sorry. And what is the contents of the wine atlas? It is all about wine. I'm only on page 30, so I'm not sure what the rest of page 30 <laughs> the book of? is about. I don't know. Check the end. How, how big is it? Well, actually, you're on page 25. There you go. So that's a 16 and two-thirds margin of error, but we'll overlook that. If you count the indices pages, which I always do, it is precisely 400 pages. Yep. So I think if you're asking me what it's about, you should check back in a month. All right. Maybe we'll do that. One thing a wine grower might want to know is if a particular strand of grapes is especially sweet or not, or maybe especially sour or not compared to some other vine of grapes, because naturally there are, well, you tell me, I would presume the winemakers have different goals. I haven't gotten to that part. I think their goal is to make the wine taste good, mm -hmm. which can change depending on the season and the sure. trends. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what their goal is. So there's something they're probably after. I hear the word tannins used a lot, something like that, right? As they're producing their grapes, they'd like it to have not necessarily always high, but in like a sweet spot of the right amount of whether it's sourness or tannin or something. Naturally, every grape will be a little bit different. So if you have, let's say, two vines of grapes and you'd like to compare them and say, are these vines producing essentially the same quality of grape or is there a significant difference? And that could just be an unknown difference, like one of the vines is just healthier than the other. Or it could be the result of an experiment, like maybe one vine you're giving a little bit more water to, and you're hoping it's going to improve the plant without overwatering it. So you'd like to kind of set some watering schedule and then evaluate if it's had a positive, negative, or no effect on the grapes that are produced. How would you go about trying to test a hypothesis like that? Well... The reason I bought this wine book is mm -hmm. because wine um, has a lot of variables. So I don't know how an actual winery person would, mm -hmm. but most wine grapes grow in valleys. The rate of which the water rushes through the soil is one factor. If there's a water table underneath, the depth of that is another factor. The altitude as an average daytime, nighttime some high-end vineyards make topological charts sure. that depict this. And then it's basically like very scientific. So, I mean, obviously they would have to account for 
the altitude, the mm-hmm. way the water runs, all this stuff. I don't even, I can't even imagine. And also which way the wind blows, moisture, the sun on that side of the hill. Yeah, I mean, they would account for all these factors. Uh, then I guess they would experiment because they would estimate that one hillside needs X amount of water and the other hillside needs a different amount of water. Mm-hmm. They don't treat all the vines the same or they can, but then they get different results. So I mean, sure. it just depends what they want. That's a really good point. And I would imagine wine manufacturers are very smart about the science behind their product. And they're doing a lot to control the agricultural variables you just described and giving the right amount of water, the right amount of grapes, but all for the goal of producing the best possible grapes that fit a very specific profile they're looking for. Certain vines in their vineyard will fit that exactly and others may diverge. So one thing they'd probably want to do is test that every once in a while and say, is vine A producing grapes that are equivalent to vine B. And if not, they probably want to correct for it. And the t-test is a very powerful statistical tool that one might apply to answer a question like that. You would say, here is my data for group A and my data for group B. And you want to test the hypothesis that these two populations of grapes are different from one another in a significant way. Or the null hypothesis would be that the grape populations are equivalent. If you can measure sweetness on some scale, populations of grapes are not going to come out to exactly the same value. It's not going to be like they're 3.1 on the sweetness scale and the other is exactly 3.1. They're going to be like 3.11 and 3.13, some small variation or or maybe a large variation. If the variation is large, you almost don't even need to do the test. If it's small, you'll definitely want to ask the question, is this due to chance or is this a real phenomenon? Now, one important factor you have to keep in mind with the t-test is that it's based on the assumption that your data is normally distributed, meaning it's drawn from the Gaussian distribution, which I've mentioned before, and we'll eventually do a mini episode all entitled to the Gaussian distribution alone. But for the time being, let's just call that the bell curve. You know what the bell curve is? Yes, it's an upside down U (laughs) that levels off at both ends. Like a squid. (laughs) That's pretty good, yeah. (laughs) Um, I will say that it's actually kind of inappropriate for me to call it the bell curve because there are other distributions that are also bell-shaped. But everyone kind of knows that idea, and if you say bell curve, it's generally implied you're talking about the normal distribution. Lots of things fit that shape. I happen to know that many properties of grapes are normally distributed. There are other things like people's blood pressure. If you look at the blood pressure of an entire population, it's normally distributed. Now, what does all that mean? If you plot it out, it fits that shape of the bell curve, the normal distribution. There is a mean value, the average, and there's a standard deviation, which is kind of how wide or tall the bell curve is. And a normal distribution is always symmetrical. You have as much to the left of the mean as to the right of the mean. Now, not all distributions have that symmetrical property. For example, weight in human beings is definitely not normally distributed. It would be inappropriate to do a t-test on the general population of weight for human beings because it is not normally distributed, and the t-test has that as a requirement. What do you think about height? Do you think it would be normally distributed? That per gender, would you expect height to be a bell curve? I don't 
know, but my guess is no. You're correct, but actually most people guess yes. And in fact, lots of textbooks use height as an example of something that's normally distributed, which if true would be convenient because everyone kind of gets an intuitive sense of human height and its natural variation. But there's actually a great post I'm going to point people to on, I think it's the R Blogger site, that gives some good explanations for why height is not normally distributed. But uh, lots of things are, and there are also many tests you can apply to try and estimate whether or not your data is normally distributed. I'm not going to get into those here because that's actually a, an episode in and of itself, but assuming something is normally distributed is a lot like assuming a politician is honest. On the surface, many, th many politicians do look honest, and in fact, probably a lot of them are. But it would not be fair to say just because they look honest and they seem to be honest that they are, in fact, honest. That was deserving of a laugh, by the way. Kyle's looking at me, expecting me to laugh. <laughs> there you go. I'll just, yeah. <laughs> I'll just cut straight to that during the edit. <laughs> you guys at home don't feel the need to laugh. <laughs> So there's another property I'll just mention that when you do a t-test, there are a few different varieties of t-tests, mainly around whether or not your samples are paired or not. So if we look at our wine case, the grapes from two vines don't necessarily match up to one another. So that would be an unpaired test. But if, let's say, I don't know, you wanted to test those power brand bracelets, you know what I'm talking about, that have the holograms and are supposed to make athletes perform better? Magnets? I don't think they actually have magnets. They have some sort of weird... Well, supposedly, you know, quantum blah, 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 nonsense words, holograms. They sell them over at the Westfield Mall sometimes. Yes. If you wanted to test those, you could have an athlete wear a placebo power band bracelet and do whatever their athletic thing is, let's say the long jump. And then on another day, you could have them wear the actual hologram bracelet and compare the two data sets. And in that case, it's paired because the same athlete is performing on both days. So you can compare like with like. And if you did that test, you would find that those bracelets are absolutely bunk. So how would you arrive at that conclusion? You would run some tests. You would make sure your data is normally distributed. And then you would run a t-test to test the hypothesis. Do you remember back when we did our p-values episode? So long ago, but a little bit, yes. The output of your t-test would give you the p-value, which would help you determine if you wanted to accept the null hypothesis, meaning assume that these bracelets have no efficacy or reject the null hypothesis, meaning that perhaps there's some effect there. Did you know t-tests are baked into Excel? No, but now that I know they exist, that is so nifty. And you can apply them, can't you? No, because I don't know how to apply them, well, but that's awesome. I think the command in Excel is equals t.test, depending on your version, and then the parameters you give to that function are some range of data A and then some range of data B and then whether or not it's paired or unpaired and it will kick out the answer for you. The equivalent tests are also there in R and SPSS and SAS and pretty much any statistical package and tool set available. So you don't have to know the sort of arithmetic behind it. So is the result like a number, a percentage, a range? What does it spit out? Good question. It spits out a p-value Often that p-value is then wrapped up for you to tell you if you want to accept or reject the null hypothesis. What's an example of a p-value? Any number between 0 and 1. So, oh, okay. yeah. If the, so it's a percentage. 
essentially, I would more call it a probability. It's the probability that any difference in the means of your two populations is due to chance. Let's talk about our grapes. If the sweetness of vine A on some arbitrary scale is 3.01 and the sweetness on vine B is 3.02, those are different means. But does it mean that the grapes on vine 2 are slightly sweeter? It might. An exceptionally small p-value, something less than your alpha, so let's say less than 0.05, then you would say the likelihood of this result, of vine B being a little bit sweeter as a result of chance alone, is highly unlikely. If, on the other hand, your p-value is quite large, then that's saying the probability that this difference was simply due to chance is very likely, and you would want to then assume that the null hypothesis is true, that that difference you measured is just luck of the draw. So the t-test the outputs the p-value, which will help you answer the question, do I trust the difference in these means to be a result of differences in the population, or are the populations for all intents and purposes equivalent? So in your wine example, mm -hmm. you only gave one example, grape A, grape B. Is that enough data? Well, I was saying vine A and B because you're right. A single grape is not enough data. You need a population of data points. I'm assuming that if you have a vine, you're, you're picking off, let's say, 20 grapes or 30 grapes or however many grapes, testing each one. And all the grapes on vine A give you a mean value for acidity or sweetness or whatever you're testing. And all the grapes on vine B give you the same thing. And then you're comparing those two means. So you're comparing two means. And Correct. that's how you enter the data into Excel. You enter all the data. So if you tested 20 grapes on vine A and 20 on vine B, you would have 40 data points in two populations. So then you enter all of it yep. into Excel. And then Excel automatically finds the mean, mm -hmm. then does the t-test, mm -hmm. then creates the p-value. You got it. You you told me how to do it in Excel, so yeah. that makes me 20 times more likely to lean on Excel for this. All right, good news. All right, quick fun thing to wrap this up. I've actually been shortening things when I call it the t-test. It's technically the student's t-test because it's drawn from the student's t-distribution. It's named that because the original publisher published under a pseudonym. The pseudonym was a period student a student. And the reason they used a student was because this work was all performed while in the employ of the Guinness Brewing Company. And the Guinness Brewing Company was afraid that publishing this result might reveal too much to their competitors about how they go about doing all their various processes. The statistician who came up with this test convinced his superiors to let him publish it anonymously with no specific references to Guinness or to whatever they were testing, presumably how much hops is in the beer or something. That's interesting because I just read an article that said creating breweries in multiple places mm -hmm. and actually creating consistent brews, consistent beer in two separate locations mm -hmm. is extremely difficult. Really? So no doubt this brewery person probably mastered it. Aha! So what he mastered is how to measure and say if you are indeed producing the same beer in two locations or not. And the t-test is great for answering that question. Yeah, small breweries have a huge problem being consistent oh, yeah. in creating their brews. 
Last but not least, if anyone has any interesting questions that are data skeptic related, please reach out on Facebook or Twitter, share your question, and maybe it'll be the topic for an episode, or maybe we'll just respond directly, but I would love to get some feedback. I started getting a few emails these past couple weeks with people who had interesting questions that I've just been corresponding with, and I think those conversations would be better served maybe in the Facebook feed or something like that, so everyone could share in the discussion. My one restriction, though, please do not send me your spreadsheet and ask me to fix it for you. (laughs) Phrase your question in, I don't know, 500 words or less without any attachments, and we'll take it from there. And I'll also, while we're at it, include in the show notes an example of how to run a t-test in both R and in Excel, so anyone who wants to be adventurous can get down and dirty themselves. So thanks again for joining me, Linda. Thank you. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Data Skeptic Podcast. Show notes and more information are available at www.dataskeptic.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Data Skeptic. If you enjoyed the program, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. A review is the greatest way to show your support.